It is good to be back with you. Uh, Lord have mercy. I have, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a fun season right now of life. I, I just got back from, from Europe. Uh, we were there almost eight days and have literally seen, uh, matter of fact, uh, I was excited because uh, over in the Netherlands, they took my book and they put it in the Dutch and they produced everything. I have people working on putting it into Spanish because I've spent more time in South America and Central America and Mexico. This is my first time in Europe. And then folks about wore me out. They preached me five times a day. I thought I was in Africa. Uh, I was saying, normally you go to Africa, it's like 8 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, and they don't let you stop, I mean, for maybe a little cookie and a Coke in the middle, somewhere in the middle. Literally, that's about it. And uh, you normally get back to your room exhausted. But uh, we had an absolute amazing time. Then we come home, and my son and his wife moved down to live by us. And so my wife is in heaven because all the family is all right there with each other. So that's always a good day because when mama's happy, hallelujah, everybody happy. <laughs> Made life even better for me in Jesus' name. I've been thanking my son every day for moving down. But, uh, of course, they're looking at maybe starting to have some babies so. We'll get some more grandbabies out of this too, which is a definite beautiful thing, but always good to be here. I really want to encourage y'all uh, to be back tonight. I have had uh, over the last year and a half, what has been interesting, well, almost two years now, is I've had more pastors connect to me that are Baptist than charismatics. It's, it's actually been very interesting how hungry some of these mainline denominational folks are, almost a little more open sometimes than the folks that are supposed to be more open ones. And so uh, we have a, a church in Kentucky that latched onto us. And back here over the last couple months, I spent four or five Wednesday nights teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. And I actually just hadn't taught on the gifts of the Spirit for several years. And it just stirred up all kinds of fresh stuff in me because they were so hungry for stuff that sometimes for a lot of us is like normal and we been around it for a long time you get around folks where it's all fresh and it's like stirred it all up in me so so tonight we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh stirring up the gift within you we're gonna lay hands on you grease you up just activate some gifts is that all right i mean i don't, I don't think that's a bad thing you just have a good old throwdown tonight in jesus name but but in a good way because uh, you know the the number one thing that paul told timothy that keeps gifts from functioning is fear it's timidity, and, and we've had fear overrun our culture in the last, the last few years like crazy, but it's also affected uh, the gifts in the body of Christ from fully functioning to where they need to be. It's like people have pulled back rather than pressed in and moved forward. And so I really want to encourage you to be back tonight. I believe we're going to have a phenomenal time, and God's going to just stir up some things fresh in you, maybe activate some new things in you, and just to see life begin to flow. Also quickly, uh, back at the table back there, I do have some of my products with me. Uh, I, what you see in USBs back there is all I have just because they cleaned me out in the Netherlands. I had no idea. I wasn't expecting that at all because uh, 90% of the people spoke English. I didn't realize that. So I figured, well, I'll put a couple of my English speaking things out and they pretty much bought everything, uh, which I'm not complaining about. Hallelujah. That was... That was a good missions trip. <laughs> Normally I go and I have to raise thousands of dollars. I actually came home with a couple of dollars in my pocket. Thank you, Jesus. That's, that's always a good thing. But uh, if you have not got a copy of my book, please check it out. I'll be back at the table. I uh, believe it will be an encouragement to you, especially if you're a person that has asked a lot of questions in life. Uh, this book, uh, it's been interesting. I've already gotten, I think, five different messages from the Netherlands 
from people that they took cases of my book back to their churches and it's stirring up all kinds of, uh, they said good stuff. I was like, I hope so. Uh, but they're like, man, it's caused us to question so many things that we were taught that we never really actually went and looked up for ourselves. And, and now we're excited because we're studying this stuff and it's coming alive in us. And, and uh, you know, there's nothing more exciting than it's not the truth that makes us free. That's actually one of the myths in my book. That's a misnomer. Nowhere in Scripture does it say the truth makes you free. It says the knowledge of the truth is what makes us free. And that word knowledge, gnosko, is a word that literally deals with an encounter or an experience with the truth. Uh, that's why you can, you can sit and listen to truth all day long. Paul said men would ever be learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Because until you encounter the truth... Uh, someone, if all you do is have a mental assent to God, someone can mentally talk you out of it. But once you've experienced something, I have, I have dear friends of mine, uh, you know, who they can break down the Greek and Hebrew and convince you that demons are just mindsets and everything else. And I tell them, I said, well, that's fine. But the truth is, uh, when I was in the best shape of my life at 21 years old, I went on an internship from Bible school. I traveled with a man. We went to the interior of Mexico. We were in a little town called Guzman, Mexico. And I'm sitting in the front row while he's preaching and something is out of the corner of my eye. And I look down. Down, and it's a little seven-year-old girl on a dirt floor on her belly, just literally writhing like a snake, which you physically can't even do that. And, and I looked down, and my eyes got big, and my dad was sitting over here on the other side. He went with us, and his eyes got big. And the preacher, who I'm supposed to learn from, looked down at me. He says, Jamie, take care of that. And I was like, you take care of that. <laughs> I was like, I'm here to watch you, chief. I'm like, and I, my dad and I, we grabbed hold of that little girl and started praying. She started throwing us all over the church, and I was in the best shape of my life. I was benching 360 pounds back then. There ain't no way a little 40, 40 pounds, seven-year-old girl could throw me all over. I'm like, so no matter what you try to say, you can theologize it to me all day long. I'm telling you, I know demons are real because I done run into one. I've run into a bunch more of them since, uh, even on top of it. It's like, it's like the man that Jesus healed who was blind from birth, and the Pharisees and Sadducees bring him into the Sanhedrin, and they're asking him all about uh, Jesus' doctrine, and they bring his parents in. He's like, listen, I don't know about none of this stuff. All I know is once I was blind, but now I see. Because once you've had an encounter, it changes everything. Because without that encounter, we've got a lot of people right now who the church has started in the last 20 years to get our orthodoxy correct. We're finally getting our doctrine to the right place, actually preaching the new covenant and preaching the actual gospel. And so our orthodoxy has gotten good, but now God is wanting to shift us also into orthopraxy, which is the practice of what we've learned. And that only happens by encounters, experience, and actually living this stuff out. And we have a whole generation right now who've not actually encountered Jesus. And so when they go to college, people are able to talk them out of it because they had an ascent mentally. They were raised in church or they were taught the Bible, but they actually never had an encounter with Jesus. Once you have had an encounter, nobody can take that away from you. I mean, let me tell you, I ran as hard as I could from 13 years old to 19 years old from the call of God and from Jesus, but I couldn't get away from because I had encounters when I was five years old. When I went to camp, when I went to Pentecostal camp growing up, I had encounters at seven and nine and 11 years old, and I could not get away from them. I knew God was real because I'd met him. And so with everything else I was doing, all of that stuff that stirred me and took me all kinds of different directions, once you've had that encounter, it changes your life. 
And so I, I want to encourage you. I believe that uh, we're going to have some encounters tonight. So show back up. I believe we'll have a good time. So turn with me to John 18. Let me get to my assignment. John 18. John chapter 18. And I'm going to start in verse number 33 of John 18. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered and said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. For if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered and said, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Now this, this, this past fall, going into this year, uh, the Lord really had me go back and do a fresh study on the Sermon on the Mount. And I had studied it years ago. I, I, I love talking about all the blessed there. It's the, actually the, the Greek word Macarius. Macarius is actually a little island over in the Mediterranean that was a very prosperous island. And so when, when Jesus used that word for blessed, Macarius, it literally, every one of them knew what it meant. It would be like you going to the most incredible vacation spot on the planet. It was this lush place. It was a place of beauty. And that was what Jesus called the blessed life. But the one thing that jumped out at me that I really had not spent a lot of time studying, and one of the reasons why is because I, I guess I had a wrong view of it, is blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I remember here this past fall as I began to study that, I, I've never really paid much attention to that word meek or meekness, because to be honest with you, most of the time when we think of the word meek or meekness, we think weakness. We, we, we think normally it's a word that, well, you know, that person, they're, they're really, you know, they're nice and they're sweet and they kind of sit in the corner. They're kind of meek and mild. But, but actually the word meekness in the Greek language, Jesus actually uses in this passage, it's a Greek word that is a military term. And it's actually a military term that means to sheath the sword. In other words, what it gives a picture of is this, is that I have strength, I have power, I have authority, I have might, I have dominion, but I'm meek. And meekness does not mean weakness, it actually means strength, because rather than take the sword out and harm you, I'm self-controlled enough to keep the sword in the sheath. And you see, we, we, we've lived in a day over the last two years, especially in our culture, man, it don't matter what it is, the sword has come out. I mean, there's people that have been friends for 40 or 50 years that don't talk anymore because they pulled out the political sword. They pulled out the race sword. They pulled out, I mean, I mean it, it's like everybody's fighting and arguing about something. I mean, in, in our culture, it's kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. I mean, pastors, especially over the last two years, I mean, if you opened up your church, you know, you were killing people. If you didn't open your church, you weren't a man of faith. If you wore a mask, then you were good. If you didn't wear a mask, if you got vaccinated or didn't get vaccinated, if you're a Republican, or if you were a Democrat or if you were anything in between. I mean, it's, it's, it went crazy in the last year and a half. 
I mean, folks lost their minds. Sad thing is, is so did a whole lot of folks in the church. Remember, I asked the Lord this last year. I said, Lord, if the meek inherit the earth, then why have we not been inheriting the earth? I mean, in the early church, in just the first 20 years, apostles would show up in a city and cities would say, they that have turned the world upside down have now showed up here. But we have churches on nearly every other corner. We have 24-hour Christian radio, 24-hour Christian TV. We got podcasts and live streams coming out of our ears. And thank God for all of it, but yet we still don't seem to even be close to inheriting the earth. You know, Jesus said something very interesting one day. He said... uh, to his disciples, he said, it's actually better for you that I not physically be here. I want you to think that one through. Because see, most of the Western church still thinks the world is only going to change when Jesus physically shows up. Now, I want to encourage you. I believe in a physical return of Jesus. I'm orthodox enough for I believe that. But Jesus himself said, it's actually better for you that I not physically be here. So then I can send the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the works I've done shall you do in greater works. That doesn't mean we're going to do bigger miracles than Jesus. All it meant is there's going to be more Jesuses running around with the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. And he said, now I want to use you because because I sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is your helper. He's not the doer. He's the helper. And so in order for this planet to get fixed and for you to inherit the earth, I placed inside you the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you've got everything you need to turn the world around. You see, most of the church don't believe that because we're still waiting for God to come do it all. We're we're still waiting for Jesus to show up and then he's going to fix everything and make everything right. Yet, which means we don't really believe that the cross did that. Woo. Good teaching, brother. Hallelujah. Just, I, I, I will never forget. I, I read a book back in the 90s. It was like 500-page theological book, and I had to look up words. I mean, it wore me out. I can't believe I actually got through it. But I read that whole book. The only thing I remember from it was the one thing that I was supposed to read it for. And the man made this statement. He said, no believer believes that the devil has to be in a physical body on a physical throne, ruling in a physical city on the earth in order to be the God of this world and rule the earth. He instead works through humans. But yet most still believe that Jesus has to physically be here in a physical body in a physical city before the church can begin to rule and reign. And if we believe that, then what we're saying is the devil is more powerful than the Holy Spirit. Because God has anointed us to be the agents of change. He's anointed us to be the meek. But it's only the meek that inherit the earth. And maybe the reason we've not inherited the earth is because we keep the sword out. Rather than keep the sword in the sheath. Maybe maybe we can't reach the culture because we're too busy fighting the culture. For too long, the church has tried to clean fish before we catch them. Not only that, but how many of you know that when fishermen aren't fishing, they're fighting? 
And what we got is we got folks in the church. We got this church fighting with this church and this pastor fighting with this pastor. We got this saint fighting with this saint. We got so much inner fighting going on. I think the enemy of our souls just sits around and laughs. He's like, I ain't really got to do nothing. I ain't even got to hardly, hardly sneeze. These folks are just wiping themselves out because they can't get along to get anything accomplished. Because rather than gather for the kingdom and say, let's change our city, they're too focused on what they disagree about. When the truth is, if they'd ever sit down, they'd find out they'd probably agree on 90% or more. But we focus on the few little things that divide us. Jesus said something, and I, I think I'd shared it here several years ago when I did the series on the kingdom. Jesus is asked by Pilate, if you're a king, where is your kingdom? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not from or of this world. Its genesis is not found in empire, dominion, authority, might, and power. He said, my kingdom is not of this earth. It is for this earth, but it's not from this earth. Its genesis is not found in the Adamic rebellion. Its genesis is found in my father. He said, for if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight which gives an inference of if anything we are doing, whether it be good Christian things or we think it's kingdom things, if in his kingdom his servants don't fight, that word fight means to struggle, it means to anguish, it means, uh, it, it means to fight, it means to war and, and contend. Now, I don't know about you, but that absolutely explains my first 30 years of Christianity. Matter of fact, everything was about struggling, contending, anguishing, and fighting. We were fighting everything. We, matter of fact, we were fighting ourselves all the time because we had to get a hold of the horns of the altar and we got to go to war. Hallelujah. We, we got to get in a fight. Don't you know that you got to fight for your right to walk in the light? I preached a series in the 90s called that. Don't you know the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent taken by force, which is a horrible translation of that because nothing about Jesus was violent. It's actually the energetic, forcefully, the energetic move, are constantly moving and advancing in the kingdom and have anything to do with fighting with, with violence. But you see, we get these ideas that if, if we're constantly taking out the sword, uh, I mean, it amazes me. I can sit and watch a lot of preachers on TV, and they're just like, don't you know we're in a culture war? I'm like, No. Uh, that's not the Bible. That's Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> and I like Bill, but you know, it's like you're watching too much Fox News, too much MSNBC. Maybe, maybe you need to turn the news off a little bit and actually realize that the kingdom of God, in my kingdom, my servants don't fight. But yet most of the church thinks it's our job to pick at everybody. It's our job to scream at everybody. Listen, you cannot reach who you're against. I have people all the time want me to take stands against this group and this group. I'm like, I'm not taking a stand against anybody because I can't reach who I'm against. Jesus spent hardly any time. Matter of fact, the only people Jesus ever got a little irritated with was the people who are always against people. It was always the religious people. He said, in my kingdom, my servants, they don't fight. But yet, man, when you get around a lot of church folk, sure to like to fight. Fight, contend, struggle. And, and then you, you finally got to get to a place where you realize it's too exhausting. 
I mean, listen, it's, it's easy for me to preach this because I tell you, I, I, I was raised, I think I shared my testimony even here before, I was raised in a town called Bay City, Michigan. Bay City was a lumber town. Bay City has more bars per capita than any city in the nation. It's before there was MMA fighting, there was something called the Tough Man Contest. The Tough Man Contest started in Bay City, Michigan by Art Door. He pretty much runs the city that I was raised in. And all people did in my city was get drunk and fight. That's all we did. There was seven high schools and all everybody did every weekend was get drunk and fight just constantly fighting I mean it was like an enjoyable thing and so then I I have an awakening to Jesus at 19 years old sitting in jail and all of a sudden I'm in Bible school six months later and I'm like well you know I'm not supposed to hit anybody anymore (laughs) that kind of don't look look like Jesus but then I found out you know what I found out there was another way to fight. I have a near photographic memory. I'm, 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 decently, I'm decently bright. School was pretty boring for me most of the time. I read and I comprehend it quickly. I can read fast. And I began to realize, you know, I can use my words and make everybody else feel stupid because I'm smarter than them. It's still the same spirit. It's just still fighting. I see this a lot even now in grace camps because you got grace folks. They stop being legalists and they just become gracious because now they're looking down on everybody that's still under the law and making fun of them and doing the same thing that they did when they were in legalism, attacking everybody else. It's still the exact same spirit. And yet we've got all this fighting and infighting that goes on. And rather than being able to actually gather together to change a city and inherit the earth, Most of the time, we're weak rather than meek. It's actually weakness to take out the sword and start cutting people. It's actually weakness. You see, uh, Peter didn't understand this because Jesus one day is speaking to his disciples uh, earlier in John 18, the beginning of John 18, and Peter, uh, Jesus says something a little earlier, and he said, in times past, I told you not to take any sword. I told you not to take any extra clothes. Don't take any extra food. He said, but now I'm telling you when I send you out, take extra clothes, take some money, and I want you to take a sword. One of the disciples in Luke says, we have two. And Jesus says, well, that's enough. I mean, you know, that passage bugged me for years. I'm like, first of all, who was the guy that said we have two? I mean, he tells 12 guys, now I want you to take up a sword. And the one guy says, well, we've got two of them. Jesus says, that's enough. And it's like, enough for what? I mean, he tells 12 guys to take up a sword until the next verse. The next verse says, so that it may be fulfilled by the prophet that he be numbered among the transgressors. Because once you study that, what you find out is this, is that when the Romans begin to conquer and begin to rule all of Judea and all of Samaria and and all of that region, they found out that the Jews would gather together together, they said, all right, we're going to conquer you, but you can still keep your religion. You can still serve your God. And so three times a year, you'd have one to three million Jews come from all over the known world to worship at the temple. And during Passover is when you would have most of them come, nearly two to three million people, and they'd be marching through the streets singing the horse and the rider as he thrown into the sea. And you had a bunch of Romans standing there saying, you know what, they outnumber us by quite a bit. And they're talking about their God throwing their oppressors into the sea. We're the oppressors. We got it. We don't like this. This could get real ugly real quick. And so Rome made a law that whenever there was the major feast, if there were 10 or more men with more than one sword, it was insurrection. 
And so the reason when they said we have two and Jesus said that's enough is because Jesus was on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane and he had to be arrested not as a martyr but as a criminal so that he could be relatable to the worst of humanity. The problem is, is once they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter pulls out the sword and cuts off Malchus's ear and Jesus looks at him and he says, I never told you to use it. I just told you to bring it. Son, don't you remember I taught you it's the meek that inherit the earth. You don't inherit the earth by the sword. He said, if you live by the sword, you die. You die by the sword. But yet, how many of you know it's so easy to take out that sword? Now, you see, meekness also doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean that you don't stand up for injustice. It doesn't mean that you don't stand up for truth. But but most of the time, a lot of what we think we're standing up for, it's like Peter, Peter realized something. It's easier to kill for Jesus than it is to die for Jesus. Because you see, Jesus, while he is hanging on the cross and he's experiencing incredible violence from mankind, his response is not to call for 10,000 angels. His response is not, sick them, daddy. His response is, I'm going to inherit the earth as a son because it's my inheritance. I asked my father for the nations, and my father said, if you want the nations, it's the meek that inherit the earth. And when he could have pulled out the sword hanging on the cross, he kept the sword in the sheath. And he inherited the earth. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if, if we could just get followers of Jesus to stop fighting. I mean, if we just stop fighting each other. I mean, and if we'd stop fighting the world and actually realize we're here to be redemptive to the culture. We're here to transform the culture. We're not here to yell at the culture. It seems like Christians have been known for what we picket. We just, anything that we don't like. I mean, Walmart's been picketed I don't know how many times. I remember when my kids were teenagers, uh, they, they, were, they were on a youth event, and a bunch of the kids wanted to stop at McDonald's, and, and the, the, the youth leader at the time said, well, we can't stop at McDonald's because they're supporting, I don't know, something homosexual or something. And, and they're like, so we all, they all went to Burger King. And I'm like, and I bet if you went back in Burger King's books, they're probably supporting something you don't like either because it's a business. It's not a Christian business. It's a business, and they're there to make money. But but we gotta we gotta uh, we gotta we gotta picket it. We gotta be against it because we don't know how to be redemptive. We don't know how to go into the system to change it. Instead, here comes here comes the sword, and it's sad to me that if if we were to take a phone or a camera and you went down to Walmart and you were to interview people and ask them about what they think about God, Christianity, Christians, and church, that most of the time you'd hear things like bigots, judgmental, not a safe place. Every once in a while, you'd meet someone that went to Grace Life. And they'd say, we're some of the most loving people we've ever run into. In our entire life. But let's be honest, most of the time, the attitude that the world has about us is not radical lovers of humanity. It's normally them folks fight everybody. I mean, no wonder we've got a lot of folks saying, I don't need to be a part of that. 
Uh, I'm, I'm already a part of three or four other groups that are fighting everybody else. I don't need more fighting in my life. Matter of fact, I think I would rather be a son of God because the son of God is a peacemaker. Maybe, maybe that Sermon on the Mount actually is the manifesto of the kingdom that Jesus said, if you really want to follow my way of thinking and my way of living, maybe, maybe you need to be thinking about keeping that sword in the sheath because you know how easy it is to take that sword out, especially around family. Uh, let's, just, let's just get where the rubber meets the road right here. Uh, you know, it wasn't Christmas not too long ago, and a whole bunch of us gathered together with all kinds of people that sometimes we only see once a year. And, and, and I don't know about you, but have you ever experienced you and Jesus are doing real good, man? You're walking fruit, you're self-controlled, you're gentle, you're meek, you're kind. You get around that one family member that just they, they just trigger you. You know, it's just they do that one thing, and sh- out comes the sword. It's like, man, I've been keeping the sword sheath for nine months, and I got around that one person, and they just set me off, and out comes the sword. Feel it's my job to straighten them out. It's my job to tell them everything they're doing wrong. It's my job to clean them up. And it's like, actually, it's not. It's not our job to clean anybody up. It's, we can't even clean ourselves up. The Holy Spirit does a better job at it than we ever will. Jesus said, in my kingdom, my servants don't fight, which infers anything that's causing us to struggle, to anguish, to fight, to contend, is immediately when we know what we're doing is not the kingdom. The kingdom functions by rest and peace. It doesn't function by contending. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not still spiritual struggles, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our struggle is between our own ears. We, we, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not fleshly. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then he tells us where the strongholds are. To the casting down of imaginations and bringing every thought captive. It's all between our ears. And I believe the biggest struggle between our ears is keeping the sword in the sheath or taking the sword out. Amen. Are y'all doing all right today? Y'all looking at me. Just kind of. See, as far as I'm concerned, this is where the rubber meets the road in being a follower of Jesus. Because, see, for a lot of years, I had no problem. I've said it so many times. I'm so glad there wasn't a Facebook and an Instagram when I was in my 20s and 30s. Because I wouldn't have no friends. Back then, I felt it was my job to straighten everybody out. I'd walk into churches, and if they did one song that I felt was, was wrong covenant or unscriptural, I'd get up and say, don't ever sing that song again. That's a stupid song. You know, and, and I'm telling you what, you could get up in front of a church and preach false doctrine and half people wouldn't even know it. But you mess with their songs, they're ready to stone you. Just leave my songs alone. I like my song. Leave that song alone. <laughs> and I felt it was my job to straighten. I was the sheriff of righteousness. I'm here to straighten everybody up. And then I, then I, I started to get to a place where I realized, do I, do I want to be right or do I want to be in relationship? Do I, am I more concerned about the people I'm talking to or am I more concerned about being right? See, the truth is your, your political view might be the right view, but you trying to shove it down someone's throat is absolutely the wrong way to do it. 
Do you know that you can share truth in a way that it's completely not receptive at all? You can, you can say the right thing, but in the wrong way that completely turns people off to want anything to do with you whatsoever. And, and, and it's amazing how we just feel like we've got to say the truth. You can't handle the truth. Because it's truth. You see, G- Jesus is... Jesus to me is such an interesting, uh, such an interesting human because he functioned fully divine and fully human. And Jesus realized something. Jesus, rather than take out the sword, he was amazing at keeping its sheath. Because do you realize that Jesus was amazing at being Christ-like, but many times in order to be Christ-like, he was unbiblical. Now, I, I get real nervous when people say, well, we, we just need to get back to the Bible. And I'm always like, well, which parts? Because yeah. uh, I'm going to eat some shrimp. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much. I like me some shrimps. I like my lobster. I'm sorry. I like the crustaceans, okay? I'm just I'm not going to give up my lobster for my religion. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, that, that part about taking our kids out back and stoning them when they mouth off, don't think we want to really keep that part. You know, I might just, uh, it's like, well, we want to be biblical. It's like, yeah. Yeah, but that's a loaded question because it's like biblical how? Because Jesus at times became unbiblical to be Christ-like. There was a woman brought in the act of adultery. It would have been biblical for him to stone her, but it would have been unchristlike. So Jesus, in order to become Christ-like, in order to be himself, to be Christ-like, rather than pick up the stone and stoner, rather than take out the sword and attack her, instead he kept the sword in the sheaf and he offered mercy instead. Jesus went and touched lepers. That was totally unbiblical. They're unclean. You don't touch a leper. But he was willing to be unbiblical in order to be Christ-like. I would rather... I'd rather you give me a hundred Christ-like people in a county than 10,000 biblical ones any day. Because sometimes those biblical ones aren't Christians, they're Biblians. And they'll take that Bible out and they'll beat you over the head with it over and over and miss the whole heart of Jesus. They'll use scripture to attack others. They'll become, without realizing it, the word Satan, Hasatan, actually means accuser. And if you even take the sword of the Spirit out and you use it to accuse others, you became a Satan. You just became an accuser, and that wasn't the purpose of it. You see, any time we have, oh, am I still doing all right? Yeah, yeah. you're thinking. Is that what you're doing? I see some of you. Tonight, tonight we're gonna try, try, tonight it's gonna be more uplifting. I'm gonna lay hands on you. It's gonna be fun stuff. But but the truth is, in order for us to inherit the earth, we've got to realize meekness is not weakness. It's actually strength. Being able to bridle my tongue when I can say something that is right but it's going to bring a breach in the relationship. Do I keep the sword in the sheath? Let me tell you something. If you want to stay married, you better figure this out. Real quick. Because it's easy 
to be right. I mean, I've had to learn this, and boy, I've had hard lessons because I don't. I'm an elephant. I don't forget. I mean, near for. I mean, my my memory. I don't forget nothing. And when my wife would try to tell me I did or said something that I know I didn't do. My A personality is that's wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. And that never really went over that well. <laughs> I finally had to come to a place to realize, do I want to be right or do I want to be in relationship? I think Jesus was more concerned with relationships than just trying to be right because he was right. Everything he did and said, and watch how he treated people. He could have attacked people. He could have beat on them, but his response was, in my kingdom, my servants don't fight. It's taken me years, but I finally got to a place where if someone wants to fight, I just tell them, you win. I just, I, I don't have any desire anymore. I don't, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to argue with you. If, if, if you want to sit and if you want to dialogue with me, I'd be glad to talk to you. Uh, but if you want to just fight, because normally it lets me know exactly what spirit is working behind it. And it's normally a contentious attitude that just wants to be right. Rather than say it's actually okay if you feel I'm not right. I'd rather be your friend. I'd rather have influence with you rather than try to shove my ideology down your throat. We have such a divided country right now because of this contentious spirit. It's divided like never before the church. Do you know I read an article not too long ago that a lot of people that didn't come back to churches they were attending, it's because they've now gone to churches because the pastors of those other churches spoke up more about political stuff, and churches are now gathering around political ideologies rather than the kingdom. Like, I'm going to go to that church because that pastor, he stood up for, for so-and-so. It's like, that, what, that ain't got nothing to do with the kingdom. The kingdom has its own politics. The gospel has its own politics. My kingdom is not of this world. It is for this world. It's not of. And I'm like, so now you're gathering around. So, so you went back to what jacked the church up in the fourth century when a man by the name of Justinian shut down the other five schools of theology, only allowed Augustinianism to be taught, burned all the other teachings, and the Dark Ages started immediately when the kingdom was mixed with nationalism. That's what started the Dark Ages when they took the kingdom of God and turned it into a weapon to fight. When that takes place, we're missing the whole point of the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. Not fighting, contending, and struggling. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. So if what I am doing is the kingdom, my desire is not to be out fighting everybody. It's to be self-controlled enough to keep the sword in the sheath as the meek inherit the earth. I don't know about you, but I, I want to see our cities changed. I want to see our neighborhoods transformed. And it's not going to happen when we're yelling at our neighbors. 
It's not going to happen when we're screaming at our neighbors. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need to start having a neighborhood barbecue and tell all of our neighbors to BYOB. Bring your own beer. Well, we'll, 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 get, we'll give you the, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of the meat. We'll grill up some chicken, some ribs. You bring whatever drinks you want. I guarantee you, they find out you're a Christian and you say BYOB, they'll be like, wait a minute. I used to do this in my neighborhood back in Michigan. We'd, we'd have the whole neighborhood over for a big barbecue and everybody would be drinking their own drinks. And they're like, you ain't like no preacher we've ever met. I said, thank you. It wasn't, it wasn't my job to tell them, you can't come on my holy property without drunkestest. I remember our first house, my next door neighbor, he was a flower child from the 70s. He was a psychology teacher in the local high school. He was an Irish guy with a big beard down to here, always had his shirt off. I mean, he'd walk around in winter, like with his shirt off. I mean, and he drove, he drove a little orange MG convertible. His name was Tom. Tom was a driver. Always had a Guinness. Always had a Guinness in his hand. And he'd come over, and he'd see us, and he'd say, hey, he'd always want to give us all a hug, and we'd give him a hug. And Tom would sit out on my back porch, and we'd sit and talk about suke. We'd, we'd, we'd talk about psychology, and he'd bring up, like, something about psychology, and I'd say, well, you know, in the Bible, uh, you know, it talks about suke, which is soul. And we'd have this discussion. He said, are you kidding me? That's in that book? I'm like, yeah, it's in the book. Except, you know, he didn't say kidding. He normally said something different, but... I remember I mentioned this in a sermon one time, and I got done preaching, and the pastor got up, and he said, now, now listen, you know, what our brother shared was good, but I'm just telling you right now, if my neighbor came over to my yard cussing and drinking a beer, I, I would tell him to go back home. I was like, really? Like, yeah, your neighbors are going to love Jesus. It's like, what, because you're... you're Property is so holy that someone can't cuss on your property? I mean, you're hanging out with Christians too much. You need to go get some unchristian friends. Be a friend of sinners. Maybe, maybe get around somebody else because you're never going to reach them if you're against them. And I want to I, I encourage you in this season. I thank God. I believe we're starting to somewhat come out of it. But, but there's still so much tension and fighting, all you got to do is get on social media. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. People still fight, still fighting about politics. I mean, folks, prophets still saying Trump's going to be put in tomorrow. I mean, for heaven's sakes. Could you just finally admit you missed it? Lord have mercy. Now, he might be in a couple years, but just not tomorrow. Who knows? But, but in the midst of all that, really, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sit and we're going to fight about all that stuff? When my kingdom, in my kingdom, my servants don't, they don't fight. It's exhausting. I have no desire to do it. I want to inherit the earth, and God's been teaching me how to keep the sword in the sheath. Because it's easier to take the sword out. It's easier to cut. Especially depending on your personality type. And my type cuts easy. I can do it good. That's why I've got people that follow me on social media, not just because of what I say, but because how I respond to people that come after me. I've had people come up to me in churches. They're like, we, we are blown away by your responses. You always are so gracious with people. And I'd love to tell you that that's always my first response. You know, sometimes uh, uh, what you don't see is what I typed out three times before I had to erase it. 
There's times I type out a whole response, and before I hit enter, the Holy Spirit's like, uh, <clears throat> no. No, because in my kingdom, my servants don't fight. That's going to lead to nothing but fighting. And that person will never listen to you again. They'll unfriend you, and you have something that they need. And your friendship is more important right now than you being right. Relationships are important. I've lost way too many through my life because I wanted to be right rather than a relationship. I want to I encourage every one of you. Keep the sword in the sheath. Doesn't mean you don't stand up. It doesn't mean you don't have opinions. It doesn't mean there's not times to share, but just don't take the sword out. Stop cutting people with it. Don't be Peter and cut off Malchus's ear. Instead, be Jesus and heal it. That's what's going to change the world around us. And if there's anything that needs to take place right now in the body of Christ, it's this. In Jesus' name. Bow your heads a moment, would you? Father, I, I thank you today. I thank you for Jesus who did not take the sword out. Jesus, thank you that while you were on the cross, your response was, Father, forgive them. You offered forgiveness, not war. You realized that your, your real fight was with ideologies. Your fight was with death that you overcame. Your fight was not with those humans that needed to be redeemed. Thank you for being our example. Thank you for showing us that real meekness is strength. It's not weak. Teach us to keep the sword in the sheath. Show us what it means to truly inherit the earth. And we'll thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. Now, would you do something with me? Would you just put your hand on your heart a moment, everybody? I want you to, I want you to pray something with me. And uh, I want you to mean this from deep down in your heart. And, and let the Holy Spirit... You know, maybe even while I've been sharing, he's kind of dealt with you a little bit, but uh, let, let him speak to you more this afternoon about uh, maybe some of that sword you need to, maybe you've not pulled the sword all the way out, but maybe it's like three quarters and you need to sheath it again and just say, just, just relax, just put the sword back in the sheath, but pray this with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you didn't take the sword out against me. Teach me by the Holy Spirit, what it means to be meek. Help me to not just be right, but be in relationship. Reveal what that looks like. Walk me through it and help me to be it to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mr.